You're listening to the Pastor Motes Podcast. All right, Acts chapter 19 this evening. Acts chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Acts chapter 19, and as I mentioned, the title of this lesson is Striving for Revival. And so Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, and he went into the synagogue, that is Paul, the apostle Paul, he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened, many divers, many were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits were out, went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And these were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who, who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, le- was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that home naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Think about that. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. We know our world is in a mess today, and I want to hear from you. What what is the cure for what ails society today? What do you think? What is the cure for what ails our world today? What would you say? Truth, good. Good. The gospel, good, good. What else? The truth, gospel. Yes, yes. And that's exactly uh, what came to my heart. Of course, we know the truth absolutely. In fact, we're going to talk about that in the, in the very first point tonight and uh, how imperative that is for revival and, of course, the gospel, which changes 
hearts and changes lives and makes people uh, new creatures in Christ Jesus. But the key is the believer, right? The key is the believer, the Christian, the truly born-again child of God. I was thinking about uh, John chapter 10, and uh, the Lord Jesus came to give us abundant life, didn't he? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, the Lord Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That means super abundant in quantity and quality. You think about uh, super abundant, uh, exceedingly abundantly above, beyond measure, more than enough. And that is to describe the Christian life, the abundant life. But uh, Christians face difficult times, and uh, we go through uh, many trials and temptations and circumstances can be very adverse. There can be doubts and fears and, and a number of different things. And if we're not careful, rather than really living this super abundant, fruitful life, we can kind of get pulled down in the, into the muck and mire of, of this old world and circumstances and this world, world system and the flesh and all of those things. So what's the cure? Well, revival, right? Revival is the cure. The word means to quicken, to recover, to repair, to restore, and uh, it begins with God's people, right? Um, the, uh, the lost man out here, he just, he just needs to be vibed, right? We need to be revived. But the lost out here, they need life. They need to be born again. Uh, you and I, we have been born again. We, we are saved, but we need revival. We need to, uh, to be on fire for the Lord. So it begins with us. Now, this is a verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that we're familiar with. But I always want to remind you, this was written to the Jew, okay? This was not written to the church. However, I do believe and feel very strongly that the, the principles here we can apply uh, because I think there are, they are timeless principles. And by the way, I think uh, Israel in so many ways was given to be an example. And so uh, I think we can take the principles, certainly, and apply them. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, because the lost are not going to do that, right? So this is a message to uh, those who know the Lord and pray. The lost are not going to humble themselves and pray and seek my face. The lost are not going to do that and turn from their wicked ways. The lost are not going to do that. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So I believe it begins with us and back to the verse we began with tonight in Psalm 85 verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people, you see, uh, the Lord's people, we are the key in this matter 
of revival. The world is not going to do this. This is for God's people, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Now, when we are revived, we'll be able to be much more effective in reaching the world, right? And reaching the lost. But I believe certainly that this begins with us. So how do we experience revival today? Again, changing us and then uh, changing us such that we can have an impact and make a difference in the lives of those around us, touching those around us. Well, I think we have a wonderful example of how we can do that right here in this passage that we read tonight in Acts chapter 19, because uh, Ephesus was turned upside down (laughs) in a good way. And uh, how did that happen? Well, revival occurs when the truth of God is preached. That's where it begins. It's the preaching of God's truth that is at the center of genuine revival. And uh, revival is really a renewed obedience to the Word of God, right? That's really what it is. When, When there's a renewed obedience on your part, on my part, on the part of God's people to the Word of God. And people come up with a lot of different Uh, definitions of revival, and this is certainly not the only one, but I think it's a simple one that can help us really grasp the essence of what true revival is. It is renewed obedience to God's Word. Acts chapter 17, if we were to back up a couple of chapters, Paul went into uh, Thessalonica And as his manner was, and the the word manner there means his custom, his habit. This is what Paul uh, usually did. So he goes into a city, and what does he do? He went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So usually the gospel is to the Jew first right? And then also to the Greek. So what would Paul do? Well, he would go into the city and he would go into the synagogue and he would preach the truth to the Jews. And so we see that in Acts chapter 17, three Sabbath days, reason with them. So uh, the first Sabbath day, they, they certainly weren't all convinced. He went back. Second Sabbath day, they weren't all convinced. He went back. Third Sabbath day, he went back and he shared the truth with them. There's a lot of things you we could draw out of that. But boy, Paul was he was consistent and persistent. He was he was faithful. He was burdened. He had a heart uh, for the Jewish people, and so that was his manner in nearly every city. He would go in and what would he do? Preach the Word of God. That's when revival comes, is when the truth of God is preached. And then we get over to our text verse in chapter 19 and verse 8, and he went into the synagogue. Again, that was his custom. That was what he normally did and spake boldly for the space of, look at this, three months three months disputing and persuading the things concerning 
the kingdom of God. So let me just give you a few thoughts about that. First of all, he gave a message of revelation. He went into the synagogue, it says, and spake boldly for the space of three months. And what was he giving them? He was giving them the truth, wasn't he? He was uh, preaching to them about how the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies, and that in fact, the, the Lord Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one that the old, the, the, the entire Old Testament was pointing to, and all those prophets were preaching about and, and, and prophesying and promising would come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it says he spake boldly. He didn't go in in a sheepish manner. Uh, he, he went in and he spake with great confidence. It's what the word means, confident in spirit and demeanor. Uh, why would Paul speak this way? Why would he be confident in spirit and in demeanor? Why do you think? Brother Lenny? Because he had the truth, right? Had the truth. And uh, so he went in because he knew that he had, he had the Lord, he had the truth, he had the gospel. And so he went in and he spake boldly unto them, which, by the way, uh, would seem to be a mark if you study the early church and the first century Christians, uh, that would seem to be a mark uh, of those first century Christians, that they were bold in uh, their uh, proclamation of the truth and the gospel uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And here's the thing, that needs to be a mark of the believer today, right? Because just as Paul and, and just as Peter and John and the others, they had the truth. Well, you and I have the truth. We have the truth of God, and uh, we ought to present it boldly, um, not in, in, the, in a wrong type of, of way, but certainly uh, realizing that, you know what, we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, we have the promise of God, we have the truth, and we should present it as such. Uh, lost people today, just like lost people back when uh, Paul was preaching here in Ephesus and when he was preaching in chapter 17 in Thessalonica, lost people today need the truth. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it uh, from us. Your co-workers need to hear it. Your neighbors need to hear it. Relatives need to hear from those who are students of the Word of God, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Paul was bold with the truth, wasn't he? But he was prepared with the truth. He was all, again, whether it was in Thessalonica or whether it was in Ephesus, 
he was prepared and he was ready to give an answer. And uh, you and I should be uh, the same way. We should be prepared. We should be students of the Word of God. And that's why we should always be growing. We should always be growing as Christians. And uh, we should always uh, be maturing as believers and, and ready as students of the Word of God to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us. And then uh, the audience in verse 9 had a mixed response, right? They didn't all receive the gospel, did they? It says, in fact, when divers were hardened, many believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. So you think about uh, Paul, as gifted as he was, the Apostle Paul, as bold as he was, as prepared as he was. Well, not everyone believed. In fact, when the Lord Jesus Christ preached, not everyone believed. So don't be discouraged. Uh, not everyone's going to believe. And some will reject. But here's the wonderful thing. Some will believe, right? Some will believe. And so what's our duty? What's our calling and commission? It's to share the Word. It's to share the Word. In fact, if, if we went back to our previous study in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember, we water, we plant, we water, but God gives the increase, right? God gives the increase. And so what's our part? Our part is to share the Word of God faithfully. Be bold, be, uh, be prepared, and share the Word of God. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. This is back to Acts chapter 17 that we looked at just a moment ago. And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So what was Paul's message? What was Paul sharing with them? What is that? That's the gospel, isn't it? That's what he was sharing. He was sharing with them the gospel. And of course, the Jews, that's, that's where their uh, stumbling block was. They, they did not uh, see the Lord Jesus as uh, the Savior, as the Messiah. And uh, he said, no, this, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That's his title. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. He is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Savior. That was Paul's message. And note, and some of them believed. Praise the Lord. And consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. A great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. And so... Uh, we don't know who will receive. We don't know who will reject. But what's our duty and what's our calling is to be faithful, to share it, be bold, be prepared, and give the gospel, give the truth, and praise the Lord, some will believe. And then we see in verse 10 that Asia was miraculously reached. And this continued by the space of two years. 
two years uh, preaching and teaching so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And I went, I went quickly over that, so I'm going to go back. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, all of them. And so uh, Ephesus is there where modern-day Turkey is, and you know that it was known in biblical times as Asia Minor. And by the way, we are not far removed from the series we did on the, the letters to the seven churches there in Revelation, and they were all in this particular area. And so you, you can see them up there. They were all with the, the red uh, squares there. But this is the area that we're talking about with Ephesus there. And uh, many believe that that's where uh, all of those churches that are again are being addressed in Revelation 2 and 3 where they were birthed or, or where they uh, were planted and started from Paul's two-year missionary term in Ephesus. So think about that. And uh, so uh, I want to tell you a little as much if God is in it. So we're just called to to be faithful and to uh, give the truth, the Word of God. So revival occurs when the truth of God is preached. God's truth will always be at the center of true, genuine revival because revival is a renewed obedience to God's Word. And said unto them, thus it is written. Remember, this is after the resurrection, after the Lord has uh, uh, risen from the grave and before his disciples. And thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, the truth of God's Word will always be at the center of genuine revival. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Why? Because thy law is within my heart. And boy, that's when we'll be revived, is when God's Word is in our hearts, then we as God's people will be ready, we'll be compelled to do God's will. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said this, Many present-day Christians seem to have experienced three stages condemnation, salvation, and stagnation. That's not where we want to be, right? That's not where we want to be. And uh, this quote is out of a book called Revival God's Way. Tremendous book. 
But uh, I've been thinking about that statement, and uh, I think I think there's a, a real truth in that. And and boy, what a danger! We don't want to get there, do we? And uh, I've I've used the illustration many times about the the puddle. You know, the the when you have a puddle, a puddle gets stagnant because there's no fresh water flowing into it. And I'm afraid that's where many Christians are. And we get stagnant because there's really no fresh water, the water of the Word. We're not really studying it and and, uh, learning it and growing in it like we should be. And so, uh, yeah, there's salvation, but then unfortunately, if we're not very careful, there can be stagnation. I walked down the steaming jungle path mid exotic flowers and trees. There were streams and gorgeous butterflies, but my mind was not fixed on these. My head and feet were burning, but my heart burned hotter with shame as I saw the diseased and degraded who had never heard his name. I thought then of our stately churches and their softly cushioned pews, And I wept for sin-damned millions who had never heard the news. Of the spotless Christ of Calvary who died their souls to save, unless there's a change, that heathen mass will go Christless to the grave. God pity our empty fullness. God pity our barren tree. God pity our long-range blindness. God curse our lethargy. Turn much-used words into action. Change ease into spirit-born care. Baptize us with thy compassion that puts feet under our prayer. Our Father, we thank you for our time and your word together tonight, and I pray you'd use it in our hearts. And Father, I pray that uh, each of us would examine our hearts before you, before your word tonight. And Father, I pray that if there, uh, if we've allowed some stagnation, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would get that right tonight. And Lord, I pray if we've allowed some lethargy, we would get that right tonight. I pray. Lord, you'd help us, and we want revival. We, we're excited about what you're doing in our church. We thank you that the year is off to such a wonderful start, Lord, and, and uh, we uh, eagerly and excitedly anticipate what you'll do on this Sunday and uh, each week to follow, Lord. It, we're, we're grateful for the sweet spirit in our church and We're thankful for your people who are faithful and serving and giving. And Lord, we're just, we're grateful for your blessing. But oh Lord, I pray, I know you want to use each of us in a greater way. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we study this matter of revival, you would speak to our hearts. I pray that uh, we would be tender before you. And Father, we would be receptive and then responsive to what you have for us. I pray that you would revive us, O Lord. I pray that you'd use this church, this ministry, each of us, our families, uh, Lord, as never before. I pray this would be the best year we've ever had. I pray that we would uh, see great fruit and blessing this year. 
Use us, Lord. We, uh, we're not interested in status quo, and we're certainly not interested in stagnation. But Lord, I pray you'd help us and stir us and bless us and move us. Pray you'd give us a wonderful time of prayer together. We know that prayer is uh, one of the key elements in all of this, and I pray, Lord, that uh, we could have a sweet time, an effectual time of prayer tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.